Hello, I'm Eddie Merckx. Welcome to the VeloCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the VeloCast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. Today's stage four was very much a repeat of yesterday's stage three, but without the weird, inexplicable go slow. And shorn of that as a talking point, this really only leaves the no small matter of the fantastic sprint. And like yesterday, the result of the fantastic sprint was only known after consulting the photo finish technology. In the end, it was a demonstrably relieved Marcel Kittel who took the win ahead of Brian Cocard by such a small margin that a new unit of measurement may have to be invented specially for it. At least they rode at a reasonable pace today. Yes, it was dull and uninteresting for, you know, 220-odd kilometres. Um, but, you know, we had Gujard, Nason, uh, Markel Arizar and uh, Schillinger of Bora. And, you know, they were out there, so at least it felt a bit traditional. Yesterday it felt like they were in a go-slow or in some kind of weird protest, but it was a, at least it was a proper sprinting stage today. And that run-in with particularly that one roundabout and the uphill finish, that was much harder than it looked actually in the roadbook, if you ask me. We got quite a thrilling finale and I thoroughly enjoyed today compared to my snooze fest yesterday. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a good stage for for a lot of reasons, but as I said in the intro, most notably, it, it, it came down to that that final sprint, and that is the the chief talking point. I was kind of left wondering though, how much thought and attention actually went into designing a stage like today because it kind of felt like while watching it that well clearly the starting town had paid some money and clearly the finished town had paid some money so mm. we'll just drape a bit of string over the map and, and that'll that'll constitute the course because there didn't seem to be any any other thought or consideration into how can we make this an interesting entertaining day's watch for for the uh, the general public and that brings me to my chief question before we get to, of course, discussing that that brilliant ending to it, mm-hmm. my, my question, I guess, is have the stages of in excess of 200 kilometres had their day? Uh, I think they probably have, actually. Um, what struck me today was the distance, which was very close to monument distance. You know, I mean, an outrageously long stage, although, you know, I'm your whippersnapper compared to the 400-odd kilometre stages in days of yore. Um, it does tend to put a bit of a damper on the action, particularly when it's obviously going to be a sprinter stage at the end. You know, so you have the peloton, just like us, thinking, well, we could go flat out, but there's not really any point because it's going to end up in a big sprint either. So you know, for me, if they're going to have the long stages, they have to shake it up a bit. You know, maybe put in a couple of mountains points where we'll see a long break away from, you know, a, a Jasper Stuyven or a Paul Voss or somebody. Uh, make the intermediate sprints really interesting. You know, maybe play with the point system so there's a bit more motivation for somebody who's serious about chasing green once better Sagan retires. So, yeah, um, I, I've, you and I have argued about this in the past because I, I think that the long, uh, frankly, turgid stage is, is part of the tradition of the sport when it serves a purpose. And that purpose is to get from me to be, you know, going through lots of lovely wee villages in France, um, a transitional stage that actually serves something in terms of, you know, getting the riders to where they need to be for the serious big 
stages that decide the racing, the first of which we'll see tomorrow in this tour. So I'm not that grumpy about it. But the two stages, yesterday and today, aren't even proper transitional stages. As you say, it looks to me like you know the towns have paid the money and you know, we'll, we'll chuck it in Google Maps and see how it gets there. Mm. I mean, it, as we, we can't underline this enough. It was a beautiful, exciting finish, but I just kind of feel that in the internet age where attention spans are, are notably shorter and there is an expectation both to be entertained and not to be offered up a he- an edited highlights package, these kind of stages feel somewhat anachronistic. And I think just as you were talking there, another factor kind of played into it. Yes, we did at least have the the traditional breakaway and the peloton would would chase them down. But when we have race radio and when we have so much communication between what's actually going on uh, from the peloton to the the breakaway, there isn't even that that thrill of will the breakaway make it that we kind of used to get you know that that was one of those brilliant unknowns about stages back in the the um, the minute per 10 kilometers were right on the cusp yeah you know and and was the person with the chalkboard getting it absolutely right because that would be the only thing that the riders could rely on so there was a bit of intrigue and a bit of drama there would they would they mess it up and you just know that the the peloton these days are kind of going oh right well we'll make that calculation and you can see them getting too close to them and backing off slightly and then getting closer again and backing off because they don't want to get them too early in, in the stage because that then encourages or should encourage other riders to, to go on the attack. So it, it kind of takes a bit, in fact, a great deal of the thrill out of watching stages of this type when everything is so controlled by technology. And that's not the peloton's fault, but it is, I think, incumbent on the, the organisers to try and mix things up about it. I mean, we had messages from riders yesterday saying that they had had enough of these very, very long stages. Riders today saying that it felt very much like a one-day classic. And I talked to someone last night representing the riders who, who was was saying that, you know, if, they, if it was a toss-up between shorter stages and shorter transfers, they will take the shorter stages as the benefit of this will outweigh the negative aspects of sitting on the bus for, for longer. And that kind of surprised me because the conventional wisdom is that the riders really don't like the transfers. I think it's a lot comfier than it was in the days when Bernardino protested against it. Mm. You know, the team buses aren't the, the, the ratty old things that they've pulled from the backyard of a farm and they have to kick the sheep out to get the riders in. Well, it was um, for Tinkoff today, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, though. I mean, we've, we've, we've put a bit of criticism towards the route course today and we've been um, notable by our, our ridicule of Velon and, and on-bike cameras and, you know, all the stuff they bring. I've got to say, I've been super impressed today and we have no affiliation other than, you know, we employ someone who is also employed by them with Eurosport. Eurosport player, for the first time today, I sat down because I wasn't in front of, you know, a telly, I I was on a mobile device, sat down with Eurosport player and thought, my God, this is actually technology that's adding something to the race, you know, with their their multi-screen shots where you can have it. You were saying on the desktop, you actually get live updates for positions and stuff, and none of it intruding on the race. And then during the coverage when Ashley and Juan Antonio were analysing the race, we had that thing where they were able to pick out riders and, you know, arrow to them perfectly. So without making any great hoo-ha about it, without claiming that they're changing the entire future of the sport, without boasting about races that look like second 
can rate things compared to the things that they're supposed to dominate. Eurosport, for me today, and it's my first experience of it, maybe in, may have been running for a while, I've actually used technology to really add to my enjoyment of the race. So I want to give them some kudos while we've been moaning about the route setting. And there isn't a cooker hood or anything that you could have been getting from that pimping. I mean, it was not like Bora where you were looking for a new kitchen. Right. I, I have no idea why you went on that, but fair enough. I'm, I'm, well, I just wanted to be vaguely positive because I thought we were being negative. And I, I tweeted at the time, I really actually enjoyed it. So, you know, there's a lots of things that I do not like about Eurosport, but that today is something that I liked about them very, very, very much indeed. Getting back to, to this, this discussion before we, we wrap it up on... The long days in, in the saddle and, and whether they've had their, their day. I mean, I guess the one aspect of this that we're not taking into consideration, and it is something that the Vuelta has addressed, is that in order to do the traditional loop either clockwise or anti-clockwise around the entire country, which France does every single year with the tour, we, we may have to... to put that notion to one side in order to get better racing day after day. Yeah, maybe, and Prudhomme's been playing with that. I mean, we've had tours where, you know, the entire east of the country or west of the country look like they've been missed out in recent years. So I don't think it would be a, a, a huge shock moving forward. Um, I, I've got to say, I, the tours have been really good. Christian Prudhomme has not been scared of innovating. And some of the, the stages and some of the, the parkours he's come up in recent years have been excellent. And actually, I think that's part of why we're both sitting here going, these two days were a bit ho-hum in terms of, not in the finishes, which were, were beautiful in both days. But I think it's because Prudhomme's mixed it up so much recently that we've got used to a more measured level of excitement throughout the thing. This this feels far more like a traditional 80s or 90s first week to me. And a, a lot of old coaches will probably love it for that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, it's probably delayed. <laughs> I think it's it's absolutely that, that we've been spoiled by parkour over the past few years since Christian Prudhomme has come in and his influence, of course, I think has uh, trickled down to, to the Vuelta, which ASO have a controlling interest now, of course. But I, I do also think that times have changed as well and, and we as fans expect more from our parkour because of it's we're not just been offered up the half hour edited highlights package on Channel 4 anymore. We do expect to be continually entertained um, by by the racing that's that's being offered up to us, and and these two stages I think have demonstrated that it's not always possible to to get it. But anyway, getting back to to things that did happen uh, today. Before we come to the sprint, I've got one more tiny gripe. Oh my to, god! To be getting out of the way, um, I've forgotten but, what happened. Now we've been talking about this for so long. <laughs> Bora Argon eighteen have been immense at the tour. That's lovely cooker hoods as well. <laughs> Uh, getting in the break today in, in the shape of Andreas uh, Schillinger. Yesterday we had Armindo Fonseca out in the break, joined eventually by Gene Simmons impersonator Thomas Vokler from Credit Energy. And we had Cocard challenging for the, the stage win today. Uh, now, given they lost their point man, Nasser Bahani, ahead of the race, you would think that Kofidis would be looking to get as much airtime as they possibly could. Yet they have been utterly invisible. 
yeah, completely invisible. Absolutely, completely invisible. Um, and I've actually been disappointed with quite a lot of the teams who, you know, who got in note through, uh, you know, right due to their position in the, in the World Tour, but because they were offered wild cards. Well, I've just listed the other three in the shape of Bora Argon, 18, uh, Credit Energy, and mm. um, Armando Fonseca's team, uh, Fortuna Vital Concept. So it's only Kofidis. That, that haven't been been performing. Yeah, it's a fair point, actually. It's a fair point. But uh, I think uh, you can lay it firmly at the door of Nasser Bihani. I think, uh, you know, we often criticise Team Sky for not having a plan B. Um, I think that Kofidis didn't have a plan B because they didn't think they'd need one. You know, they, they were never in a situation where they were looking at the GC. They were likely never in a situation other than Buhani on that first stage getting the jersey, of, you know, looking at uh, a yellow jersey of any sort for them. There, there was no other option for them other than a freak break or whatever. So when Buhani uh, had that altercation in the hotel, which resulted in him withdrawing, he actually just scuppered the entire team. And it probably took the heart out of them, to tell you the truth. And I know they're professionals and stuff, but you know it's it it, it must have been a hard phone call when uh, they were told. By the way, that guy you were basing your entire tour around, you're not getting them. Yeah, but as as, as I say, you know, Borargon eighteen, Iam, as you do there, and Trek Segafredo were the the four teams represented in the break, and all four of those sponsors must be immensely happy with the airtime that their product and or service got today. Surely mm-hmm. Kofidis should uh, take up the cudgels, realising that they're not going to get any sprint wins with Bahani not being there, to get out in every break that's going and, and do the team proud. Get on the phone, chase them. I shall do. Right, getting finally to a fantastic sprint. I posted a shot of the, the final kilometre today, which, which Eurosport had had provided. And you could see just how sharp not only the, the downhill run-in from the, the 1K marker was, but also the incline to the finish line itself. A lot more difficult, I think, than, than anybody had anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. Although I've got to say, other than that one roundabout where it was obvious there was going to be a squeeze, and in fact there was a squeeze, uh, it was relatively safe in spite of the horrific speeds. You know, there weren't the kind of traffic uh, calming measures that would have made it incredibly dangerous. So I think what we saw were professional cyclists at their best. You know, the bike handling was impressive, their ability to gauge their speed was impressive. But what we got with that steep uphill was they had to get everything absolutely perfect. You know, Lotto looked really strong before uh, before we got to that finale. By the time they got there, they had hardly any riders to help Andre Greipel. Mark Cavendish looked strong, was impressive and clever, but because he was because of where he was positioned at the start of that final climb, he was boxed in. Uh, you know, Brian Cockard, because it was such a harsh climb, just slightly misjudged it and lost the stage by, you know, less than the 22 millimetres that was the difference yesterday. So what it did was essentially it distilled everything. You know, if you make a mistake in sprinting, more often than not, you won't get away with it. But if you made a mistake today, 
your chance was over. It was just completely over. And what we saw by uh, Marcel Kittel hanging on from a particularly ugly sprint, it's got to be said from Brian Cockard, was he was the one guy who judged it absolutely perfectly. Afterwards, Ilio Casey had said, and I was chatting to, to Ashley about this, uh, that you know, Kittle's actually got really good legs. What was it? He called them diamond legs. Mm. Um, but the team had let him down yesterday by by going too early. Uh, today, they got it right. You know, a couple of his teammates survived. Um, was it Rochese and Sabatini survived that wee incident at the roundabout where it, you know quite a few folk got caught out, and they put him in the right position to jump. He put himself in a, a position where he had clear air, and even though you know Peter Sagan, whose wheel Brian Cockard came off, uh, was you know trying as ever to be consistent for the points, Kittle showed that he's lost because of mistakes that he and his team have made you know, up to now in this tour, not because he doesn't. Have the form and that's that was the gift that that steep finish gave us today you know we actually saw exactly what kind of form Marcel Kittle's in because you wouldn't have been able to do that if you weren't flying you know we've been we've been criticizing him a wee bit I think his team with Ilya Kesa were more than happy to take the blame for it and I think with his performance today they're maybe justified in, in doing that you know maybe the team have let him down and he's had the form from the start. I think one thing I could take away from today's sprint and, and actually sprints over the last couple of days is I'm I'm not so sure and, and maybe maybe we need to get Kelly into to look into this. But I, I'm kinda of left wondering how many sprints are actually coming from proper lead out trains anymore because it looked very, very chaotic in the finish. Um Lotto were the only team that actually looked like it was a proper sprint train, but they were they were doing their work far, far too early, I mm-hmm. thought, and, and it all came to, to absolutely nothing. And of course, I think a lot of those trains maybe have been derailed by that big roundabout that you mentioned where there was a, a, a big squeeze. Um, but when it actually comes to the, the denouement, the, 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 the final part of the sprint, I'm not so sure the sprint trains are, are doing the job that they used to anymore. I think it they're delivering be- earlier. I mean, I, I do think they're releasing earlier. But back in the days of Cipollini and the like, you would see the sprint train be there up until, you know, 300, 200 metres, and then suddenly Big Mario or Tom Steeles or whoever would pop out like a cork from a bottle. Um, I think we're seeing a, a different style of sprinting these days you know these are clever guys it's clever sprinting as much as anything else and it's up I think when you've got so many strong sprinters because we have we've got some fantastic sprinters in the field here all the teams can do is you know deliver them to where they can do their best because if they completely dominate the sprint the other guys are actually good enough to you know to suck their wheel and then come round their guy so effectively you're leading out for somebody else so I think it's changed the tactic a wee bit I think it's about trusting your your lead guy a bit more and delivering him on, you know maybe a bit earlier where he can take advantage of the other guys rather than just working like a dog right up until 200 metres and then suddenly calf pops out and takes your man in the line No I think you're, you're absolutely right and, I, and to be honest I mean I, I know that uh, the riders themselves are complaining about the mentality of of, of uh, some people in the peloton when it comes to sprints at the moment, but for for the viewer, I'm actually enjoying it a whole lot more. Oh, brilliant um, uh, than it used to be with the the, the all conquering HTC esque or, or cycle uh, trains. You know, you mentioned Mario Cipollini back back in the day, and and just looking to to Brian Cockard, 
taking perhaps the Nasser Bahani Award for gentlemanly sprinting today, uh, really close for him. And you get the feeling, the same kind of feeling you get with someone like Giacomo Nozzolo, that the floodgate opening win is coming. And I think it's also testament to, to that point of the calibre of sprint talent we have in the peloton at the moment. Yeah, Colcard's fast. I've got to say, though. I mean, if you looked at that sprint today, you had Marcel Kittel. He, he held a perfect line. His bike was rock solid. You know, his, his legs were like pistons. Uh, you had Peter Sagan, you know, looking like Peter Sagan. Super, super smooth. Very, very controlled. And for me, Brian Colcard looked like nothing more than a keystone cop getting on a bicycle to chase a train. Do you know what I mean? Where, you know, you're heaving the bike about in a wildly theatrical fashion. Looked over geared to me. I mean, he was having to horse that thing about like it was a motorbike to try and get up to speed. And, you know, I, he bumped into Marcel Kittle. I don't think it was because he wanted to knock him offline. I think he was just so out of control on that bike that he, he wasn't sure he could keep a straight line. I want to see a bit more style if you're going to start winning, Brian. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, a, a comedy name isn't enough. We need you to sprint in a straight line. <laughs> I think there was a reason for for that and I think that the yeah, reason too high a gear is the reason for it. <laughs> well that plus the fact that he had chosen and I, 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 that's not a, an unreasonable choice when, when you consider it uh, to, he chose to sit in Peter Sagan's wheel thinking that Sagan would be the guy to come yeah. out from, from behind and realising that Sagan wasn't going to come anywhere close to, to Marcel Kittel had to work exceptionally hard to try and make up the ground yeah. uh, from Sagan to, to Kittel and I think he should be lauded for, for the fact that he, he did have the, the flat out speed to do it and, and the heart to go for it I mean I, I, for, yeah. I'm being mildly facetious but I mean it, it, it was bad enough at full speed but see when they started playing it in slow motion I would rather watch Chris Froome having difficulty going up a hill than watch that sprinting from Brian Cockart today our chum actually Ed from Viva La Velo in Hull was in uh, the, I think he was in the in the bus and yeah, while uh, and they, I think they thought they'd won, he was saying it was brilliant for about a minute until everybody's face dropped. Well, there's a fantastic photo uh, kicking about Twitter at, at the moment of Brian Cocard sitting with his hand, you know, sitting kind of almost cross-legged on on the ground after the stage, surrounded by photographers and journalists and team staff. But there's this little oasis of of literally prayer his hands in, in the praying position waiting for the result to come in uh, it's a really really poignant photo and, and I'll try and dig it out and retweet it for, for anybody to, to see it uh, he's going to get a win though isn't he I mean Jean René Bernardo afterwards he was saying his form's solid he'll be really unlucky if he doesn't get a win because as you say once he does the floodgates will start opening uh, one rider we haven't mentioned who of course had been, been opening the floodgates and coming into some fantastic form ahead of 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 Rio is one Mark Cavendish who really got boxed in today. Yeah, completely boxed in. Um, I, I've got to say, I'm not sure if the finish would have suited him anyway. Mm. Um, because you usually find when Cavs boxed in, it's because he's in the you know he's in the wrong place to start with because his head isn't in it. Um, I've, I, I don't think I've ever seen a rider who's more capable of finding a gap when he has to than Mark Cavendish because he's not a big guy and he's super super clever and super strong. So I, to me. 
it didn't look like he was trying. You know, he's he's fast enough to be up there near the front, but he's got two stages under his belt already. You know, the Olympics coming. This has already wildly exceeded his his, his dreams. You know, he's had a, a period in green by right, which he, he lost again to Peter Sagan today. Um, this tour. If if you'd said to Mark Cavendish before they left Mont Saint Michel, you know, we'll give you two stages and a day in green, I bet you he'd have bitten your hand off. <laughs> Plus a day in yellow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, his first yellow jersey. Mm. You know, he would definitely have bitten your hand off if you'd said that. I mean, just a, a superbly successful tour for him so far. Now, speaking of Mark Cavendish, I think it's probably time we check in with the sartorially minded uh, Eurosport presenter, Ashley House, because Ashley has some, well, rumours. I wouldn't go so far as, as to say news, but certainly a rumour regarding Mark Cavendish. Welcome to Ashley House from Eurosport Extra. I've just watched you and, and Juan Antonio in a, a relatively safe place today, Ashley. Um, I've got to say my feeling from the last two days is that I feel I'm in a time warp back to the 80s. I, I don't think the return of traditional sprinter stages uh, has been a, a roaring success because we got a magnificent finish today. The last 20k was really exciting. But before that, it was another bit of a snooze fest, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, good evening, John. Good evening, Scott. Oh, hello, everybody. It's... Um I think I agree with you to up to a point, John, but only up to a point. I think that the return to these sort of sprint stages actually has been interesting. Again, only in the last 10, 20 K, definitely. But um, the, the uphill nature of these sprints, we haven't had um, a, a, what you would call a straightforward, flat, straight sprint to the finish yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've really enjoyed the uphill nature of them because it's really, really tested the lead-out trains, not just the sprinters themselves and uh, those who have got more power or more acceleration. But I think tactically, things have been very, very fascinating because we've seen what Greg LeMond's called um, Cavs thinking sprinting. He might not have the power and the pace that he had five years ago, but in terms of a bra- sprinter's brain, he's definitely got that. I think we would have expected Andre Dreibel to do much better on, uh, uh, on these, these slight uphill drags for the finish. But uh, Juan Antonio Fletcher has been saying, and in fact, we've got an interview with Andre tonight on uh, Le Tour by Le Mans, where uh, Los Ocedal actually have made some pretty big mistakes in terms of those uphill finishes and go, either going too early or not having enough guys left. Um, and this evening on the show, we spoke to Ilya Kaiser, who said that that, uh, that Etich Quick Steps train, they had made mistakes in the last couple of days as well. Um, but today, they might not have got it 100% right, but it worked. So I, I know what you're saying. But at the same time, there are definitely points to talk about. Well, the one thing that really interested me, actually, was that um, it's been very difficult to predict who's going to win. You know, I mean, it's very open as far as the sprinters go. We've seen people counting off Kittle already, but of course, all he needs is a win and his tail's up and his confidence is back. We've seen Brian Cockard, I think, take a real step forward in his talent. We've seen Cavendish be super strong early in the, the race. So I think you're right, actually. We're maybe being unfair just because we're not getting action all day. The that we are seeing is really, really significant. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and some real pointers both to the future and the past as well as the present, I guess, as you've just said. Brian Cockard showed today, as we've, as we've seen all season really and last year too, that he's definitely a name to watch out for uh, up and coming. I've also found it really interesting the way that the, I was going to say MTN Quebec, but the way that the Dimension Data team uh, train has worked and yesterday and today, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we saw uh, Bosenhagen, uh, Eisler, Renshaw. Then we saw Cav behind. And then Cav actually slipped as Renshaw came round to the front of the, uh, of the sprinters group today. Greipel once again got in between him 
and uh, and Cav Cav sort of got behind Greifel, and it worked yesterday. But today, Cav got boxed in against uh, against that right hand barrier as the whole lot of them crossed over to the right hand side. So, I guess it worked yesterday. It didn't work today, but um, I think definitely, as as you just said. It's been really interesting that we can't predict who's going to win. Who would have thought that Marcel Kittel would win today's uphill? I've never seen him look actually quite as breathless as he looked. I think he gave absolutely everything. You had a fascinating discussion with uh, Ilio Kesa after the after the race, and he said that Kittel had good legs but didn't have the opportunity to show it. He might have had good legs, but I think that was spirit as much as legs today. He just held on while Cocard was, you know, coming towards him from the rear. Oh yeah, absolutely. When when we saw um, Marcel Kittle come over the line, just behind where we were filming, and unfortunately uh, we went live just after it happened, but Marcel came over the line, uh, just about got off his bike, but basically just fell to the ground. He was so utterly exhausted. So tomorrow, uh, we're, we're moving away from the sprinters. We're heading towards uh, La Lioran in the Massif Central. And I think we're going to see some GC action tomorrow. Are you getting a sense of that as you're wandering around uh, you know, behind the scenes at the Tour? Are the GC guys starting to, to look a bit more nervous? Uh, they're not looking nervous, but they're, they're looking very much like they, they know that tomorrow is potentially a very important day. But just because it's so early on, um, I think it's, it's the first time since the very late 70s when we've gone over 1,500 metres so early. So it's a little bit unprecedented in recent years um, and it certainly looks like it's going to be or could be a fascinating stage, not just to watch Froome and Quintana, but also to see what BMC do, also to see whether Alberto's recovered enough over the last two days. Uh, I think tomorrow could be fascinating. Yeah, I've just seen Oleg state that he's worried about uh, Alberto in the mountains, which I don't think is a good way to, to motivate your man, unless it's that classic diversion tactic that we've seen from both Alberto <laughs> and Oleg in the past. <laughs> oh God, Oleg, Oleg, Oleg. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe Oleg's just a hell of a lot cleverer than we think. And or maybe he just literally has no idea. I don't know. And then earlier today, he said that if Sagan wins another two stages, he's going to stay in cycling. <laughs> he's insane. <laughs> I didn't see that. Is he? <laughs> oh my goodness. He does, you've got to say, he does bring a lot to the sport, not just money, but he does bring a lot to talk about as well. Um, I did, one, one interesting thing, as you mentioned um Oleg may be double bluffing. I don't know whether you saw this morning, there was, there was a quote from Alberto saying he can't pedal hard enough, he hasn't got the force in his legs, and, and he'll see how he goes. I showed it to uh, Juan Antonio this morning, and Juan Antonio said, yeah, yeah, he says stuff. he's going to carry on saying that all the way to the end. He says stuff like that all the time. And I guess, you know, we know that now, not only Oleg is boss, but also Alberto is pretty good at double bluffing. <laughs> now, to finish today, you, you, you tease a wee rumour that you've, you've heard going around the, the peloton and backstage earlier on. Uh, do you want to, to share it with our beloved subscribers? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 uh, the rumour here from a couple of contacts um, uh, that some of the guys have is that we, we were expecting, or a lot of people are expecting Cav to leave tonight. That was the rumour this morning and last night. I think... Um, would that be that surprising when you think about it? We know Cav's definitely not going to stay around until until the end of the, uh, the Tour de France because he's got the Olympic prep to do, so he's not going to stay around to win the green jersey. Um, would, he, would he stay till the end of the Pyrenees? I guess if he wanted to have a look at maybe it, at the one or two flat stages there might be left, he could do. But I guess it wouldn't be, whether or not that rumour is true or, or fabricated, I don't think it would be that much of a surprise if Cav left this evening. No, I'd agree with that. And I think far more likely with two stages already under his belt. You know, he's, he's had a hugely successful tour already. He can relax and start prepping for the Olympics, I think. 
Yeah, that's right. And don't forget, he's not wearing the green jersey tonight anymore either. So it wouldn't be a sort of uh, disrespectful thing to the jersey either. No, and it, I mean, it's a good thing you go to wear green. Now, as ever, uh, we're, we're hitting the meat of the race. I would suspect that you and I are going to have much longer chats after the stages that are coming up. But meanwhile, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to those. I really am. Starting from tomorrow, definitely. Uh, where you can find me right now, I'm standing behind the set of Le Tour by Le Monde, which in, in my before my very eyes is actually falling over with the wind. Um, <laughs> um, and Greg is sitting just below where one of the things is about to fall. So, uh, it's like someone's got it just before it hit him. Good Lord. Um, that would have been uh, interesting, wouldn't it? You can find uh, me and Juan Antonio Fletcher before and after every stage with Tour de France Extra on Eurosport and Le Tour by Le Monde in the evening. And I'm tweeting Ashley on Twitter. I tell you, that would have been a real scoop if we'd got one of the all-time greats of the Tour de France bashed senseless live while I was talking to you. <laughs> I know, good Lord, yeah, heart in mouth time. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> Thank you once again to Ashley House, who, of course, you can see with Juan Antonio Fletcher on Tour Extra on Eurosport. Now, the top tens. Marcel Kittel takes the win ahead of Brian Cocard. In third place, gaining more green jersey points was Peter Sagan. In fourth was Dylan Gronwegen. In fifth was Alexander Kristoff. In sixth, Sandra Holst-Enger. Seventh, Daniel McClay. Eighth, Mark Cavendish. Ninth, Samuel Dumoulin. And in tenth was Simon Gerrans. Slight changes to the general classification after stage four. Peter Sagan still remains in yellow, while Julian Alaphilippe now sits in second place at 12 seconds. Alejandro Valverde sits in third at 14 seconds. Michael Matthews is in fourth at 18 seconds, along with teammate Simon Gerrans. In sixth place is Lawson Craddock at 35 seconds. Samuel Dumoulin sits in seventh at 59 seconds. Brian Cocard now sits in eighth at 1 minute 15. Well, Sondra Holst Enger sits in ninth at 140. Rounding out the top 10 is Mark Cavendish at 143. Now those blessed with the fast twitch muscles necessarily to challenge in the sprint finish will be afforded the opportunity to take a back seat tomorrow. And that's because stage 5 from today's finish town of Limoges to the Cantal town of Le Lyorin is not one that is willing to support their particular talents. The 216km affair starts tamely enough, but once the riders enter the Cantal département at 133km gone, things start to rise upwards and head over four categorised climbs which lead to the uncategorised but still uphill finish. Yep, uh, we're going above 1,500 metres tomorrow uh, on the, the Puy de Perol or the Pas de Perol, the Puy Mary. Um, heavy, heavy roads all day. I, I know this area extremely well. You know, it's, it's it's very wet. I mean, <laughs> I've been I've been twice around there and both times it's been very wet, so I hope they get nice weather. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to see some GC action tomorrow. It's entirely possible that a break will get away and stick uh, due to the nature of the stage. But I, I think, um, you know, the GC guys are going to have to start to show some form. We've had Oleg Tinkov earlier today saying that he's worried about Alberto's uh, abilities to, to, you know, to compete in the mountains, which is either a bit of smoke and mirrors or, you know, the worst motivational technique ever for a manager or team owner. Uh, but That wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <let's, let's laughs> I was just going to say, that's, uh, that, that he's got previous form with that kind of one. But the, the finish, it's just claim after claim after claim. You know, it's third cat, uh, third cat, second cat, second cat, third cat, and then, as you say, an uphill finish that isn't categorised. So... 
you know, I, I said in our preview show, this looked to me like ideal Alberto Contador territory. I think we'll get an answer as to whether he's in, in proper form. Uh, there are some people who have nothing to lose who could, you know, go out and, and try an exploit tomorrow. And I'm thinking about Richie Port after his misfortune the other day. Uh, so I, I think we're in for some fascinating viewing. You know, the, the, the dull stage three and the, you know, the, the traditional stage four will be just a thing of memory after tomorrow. I think, uh, you know, we've been, we've been knocking out half hour, 35 minute shows during stages that aren't particularly exciting. I, w- I would, you know, pull, pull up a sofa and get your slippers on for the show tomorrow. <laughs> Well, lots of questions there. And, you know, one of them is how well Alberto Contador has recovered over the past days. Will he be able to match any last minute attacks that, that may come from, from GC rivals? Because traditionally, if if indeed we can call it that, Sky do tend to go a bit trigger happy on the first mountain mm-hmm. stage. But I don't think this is the kind of terrain where they as a unit would be able to to make a, a difference what I can maybe see tomorrow is Chris Froome trying to do what he did last year which is just take you know nip away with a few seconds here and a few mm-hmm. seconds there uh, across the the opening stages but I think as I mentioned I think a couple of days ago he would be much more closely marked by Nairo Quintana this year than he was last year. So that feeds into that question that I just posed about how well Contador has Mm -hmm. recovered and will Froome and Quintana choose to pose that question to to the Tinkoff rider. And one that I actually hadn't considered but you raised is how late does Richie Port leave it before trying to make back time? Does he actually go for it? now or will he wait to the more mountainous stages to try I would say that it would be more to to his benefit to try early rather than leave it to when he's actually you know faced with proper mountainous climbs that are going to swing back to guys like Quintana and Froome yeah I'd completely agree with that. I think Port, if he's got serious intent, we'll see him go tomorrow. Um, I've mentioned the Contador question, which you know everybody's talking about. The other thing that strikes me is we have to bear in mind that we're now in stage five. Nairo Quintana has looked very composed. His team have been, you know, when we've been able to distinguish them from Orica Bike Exchange, who had no originality in choosing that bloody strip colour. Um, <laughs> his team have looked composed. He's got an Alejandro Valverde who seems to be a, a willing and, and you know able team. Will he think, I lost the tour in the first week last week, or last year rather? Will we see a bit more aggression from Nairo tomorrow? You know, is he in the kind of form where he'll try to make a point as well? There's loads of questions being asked tomorrow, and I think it's going to be a fascinating GC stage. And I think there's also a real chance of a you know a nice wee breakaway sticking to the finish while the GC guys batter it out amongst themselves. Mm. Just on that question of, of Quintana, I don't think he has to. I don't think he ha- is the one that needs to to make the running here. Uh, Chris Froome, as I, as I keep saying, I felt won his tour in the first week mm-hmm. and Nairo didn't do enough right at the end to, to match him for that. I think with... With this idea that Quintana gets better as the tour goes on and Froome fades somewhat, all Nairo Quintana, I say all, all Nairo Quintana needs to do is match Chris Froome. He's a bash. 
Uh, yes, it's, it's so easy to say, so difficult to do. But, uh, you know, not let Chris Froome take the time that he did last year. So if Quintana can simply keep a watching brief and make sure that Froome doesn't get away from him, then he will have, you know, take more comfort going into the, the later stages that, that Froome may tire, whereas he is going to get better. So I, I don't know whether Quintana is going to do anything right. other than marshal from very, very closely. Fascinating stuff. I mean, there's there's endless numbers of ways he, you know how, how it could play out. Who do you think is going to win tomorrow? Oh well, I'm I'm kind of with you that uh, a small break will will stay away, and I, I really think then it's just down to who's lucky enough to to get into the break that sticks tomorrow. Because I think unlike over the past couple of days, there'll be lots of guys looking to get into that break. But looking at, at the kind of riders that are on offer that could make a break tomorrow and who don't have duties supporting GC ambitions on, on their team, I don't know, a, a kind of Tom Yelta Slagter type? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going for Tommy Vuchler, actually. Well, see, Tom, Tom's Tom's been... because he was having a big pull today in the front I think he was just testing himself uh, and we've seen him off the back quite often when he doesn't think he's got any chance at all and I think if he can get a stage win for his team you know under his belt um, and get you know get that gardening fizzog on French television be worth it. I think I think he'll be motivated tomorrow Okay, thank you for joining us today as we saw Marcel Kittel relieved to be back in winning ways and Brian Cocard devastated to be denied them. Join us again tomorrow as the no small matter of winning the general classification resumes in another edition of The Velocast. <laughs>